Genesis chapter 48. If you are making a film of Jacob's life, the trailer for that film would be spectacular. Uh, It would picture a man running and looking over his shoulder uh, and, and looking to see if he's being pursued by an angry brother. And that you would see him looking for somewhere to hide and, and lying down in the dead of night in the middle of a desert. Uh, and taking a rock for a pillow and, and afraid almost to close his eyes. And looking and wondering if he will even awaken in the morning. And eventually he falls asleep and as he falls asleep he dreams. And there on that very spot there is a ladder, a stairway coming down from heaven. And angels are going up and down on it. And then a voice speaks and God speaks to him. And then the scene would cut um, uh, to the same man coming back 20 years later, traveling and coming to a riverbed. And he sends his family on ahead of him. And he spends the night here. And as he spends the night there, he's, he's afraid of uh, his uncle, Laban, who is pursuing him as well now. Um, and... He's afraid of going to, to meet his brother Esau, whom he has told is, has spotted him, who's still looking for him after 20 years. And Jacob uh, spends the night and he starts to call out to God in prayer. And you would see in the film, in the dead of night, somebody grabbing him. Imagine the panic in Jacob's mind. Who is it? And he wrestles and he wrestles and he wrestles and he wrestles all through the night, hour after hour. He starts to realize this isn't Laban. This isn't Esau. This is somebody else. This isn't anybody human, although they're in human form. And he cries out uh, as, as, as this being touches his hip and his hip is, is wrenched from its socket. And Jacob um, cries out and he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And then the trailer to the film ends and you're told to go and see the rest of it in the cinema. Uh, If you're asked to pick out the highlights of Jacob's life, those are surely two of the most spectacular and dramatic moments. That's what we would pick. But the writer to the Hebrews, when he is picking out the highlights of Jacob's life, he picks one incident and one incident only. He wants to show to us Jacob as a man of faith and which is Jacob's greatest moment. There was great faith as he heard God's voice in that dream and believed it. There was great faith when he was wrestling with this divine being, God the Son in human form. And and he says, I will not let you go till you bless me. The writer to the Hebrews doesn't pick that. He picks this moment in Genesis 48, which to us, when we read it, perhaps like me, you think, what on earth? Are we going to learn from this? This, does it have much to teach us in century 21? What are we to take from it? And yet, this is the passage that the writer to the Hebrews refers to when he wants to encourage discouraged Christians who are on the brink of giving up, who are finding the pressure of the world too much and who are going to throw in the towel He picks a series of incidents from the lives of the great heroes of the past. And this is the one from Jacob. So he thinks this is immensely useful for us to live in a world 
that would cause us to despair and want to give up. And so we come to look at it. There are two great things going on in here. Jacob has a desire to finish well. And there is a desire to pass the baton on to the next generation or even the generation after that. That's what makes this moment so great. There is great faith here. Jacob has wavered in his faith over the course of his life. In fact, for the first half to two-thirds of his life, there was no faith and next to no faith at all. He relied on his own wit and skill and cunning and deception. In fact, he was known as the twister. That's what Jacob means. Um, But then, after particularly after he has this wrestling with God where he is weakened and yet he clings on and he renounces as it were all his cunning and treachery all he's left is pleading with God will you bless me will you do it that's the turning point but even after that turning point it's not a great majestic uphill you know rise in his faith as if he's growing and growing steadily what does he do he falls and stumbles and gets on he he despairs he is doubting and he's a complete mess at times um and we find him you know saying to uh you know everyone is against me and then he says oh my gray head is going to go down to the grave in sorrow and yet now as the end is approaching he gathers himself For one last sprint to the finish line. There's two things that I want us to see that will enable us to live well and to pass the baton on to our children, our grandchildren, or to those around us. First of all, great determination to run well. Great determination to run well. Jacob's an old man. Very old. He's 147. Illness is set in these in the last weeks or months of his life. Joseph has been sent for. His father is confined to bed. Joseph takes his two sons. I don't think children think young men in their early 20s uh, with him. Then we read something lovely. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. You see the old man lying there. You see him frail and weak and he's struggling to breathe. He hears his son and grandsons have arrived. And he pulls himself up for a vital moment. He has something to do. And he has something to say. This is not simply sentimentalism. This is Jacob finishing well. What he is about to say, what he is about to do, is vastly considered. It is thought through. And it displays great faith in the closing days of his life. He hasn't always had this great faith, as I mentioned. But like a runner in the race who struggled, I find it interesting that The imagery of Hebrews 12 
is to take the imagery of a runner in a race uh, and to encourage the people to, to keep going. Throw off the things that are entangling you. Keep running when you're weary, the writer says. But here's Jacob. He's like a runner in the race who's, whose energy levels have dipped in the middle of the race and he's struggled and he's struggled and he's struggled. But now as the finish line approaches, he gains heart and hope and he starts to run with renewed vigour. And here is great determination to run well. And that's what I want us to have. That's what the author of the Hebrews wants his hearers to have. And what's going to fuel us to run well? well? I'm going to only mention briefly the things that refuel Jacob. There's two things as we read this chapter that stand out. First of all, there's remembering God's faithfulness. He remembers God's faithfulness. Verse 3, Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz. Luz is the the name for Bethel. It was the, the ancient name for Bethel. Bethel was the place that God appeared in that dream to Jacob and assured him that God would bless him and grant him descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore, as the dust on the earth. God appeared. Here's the first of five remembering of God's faithfulness. He remembers that God appeared to him. God appeared to him and spoke to him. He was running and scared and deceitful, but God was going to change Jacob. Jacob got up the next morning after that dream and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, Beth-El. Beth house El God. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. God has appeared to him. He's going to start a long, slow process of change. Now God appeared dramatically to Jacob. He probably won't appear as dramatically to us, but he does appear to us. There's his faithfulness. He appeared to you. Think of that initial appearing to you when he spoke to you, when he called to you through his word and he brought you to Christ initially. Think of other times he has answered prayer for you. Think of times when in worship you have this great sense of the presence of God. He's appeared to you. Remember that and let it refuel you to run the race. Jacob forgot in that middle part of his his race, that God had appeared to him and that God had promises for him. That's the second um, thing that he's, he's remembering here, God's promises. God said to him, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of people. And Jacob was one man, wasn't even married. And he was running from his, his brother. He was being hunted down. And God said to him, I will make you uh, and your descendants numerous. Numerous like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the east and to the west. One man, not even married. And yet, here he is looking back over 70 years. And he sees his family. 52 grandchildren. 12 sons. Four wives. 70 in total. Um, 
70 uh, in total are his family. God has been faithful, kept his word. What about you? Here's a refueling point for you. To look at God's faithfulness in keeping his promises to you. Look to that and you will be given strength to keep on going. As we move down the chapter, we find in verse 15, more remembering. He speaks of the God who has been my shepherd all the days of my life to this day, or all my life to this day. Here's God's provision. He remembers God's faithful provision. This is the first time in the Bible that God is called a shepherd. It's such a common piece of imagery. Jesus uses it. David uses it, Isaiah uses it, Zechariah uses it, but Jacob, I'm going to say invented it. He was the shepherd, this old shepherd, at this point, looking back over his life, recognizes that although he spent a life in farming, although he had immense skill under his uncle Lebanon and then saw the, his flocks prosper and prosper and prosper. And Laban said the same thing. Jacob says, I've been under the care of a far greater shepherd all my life to this day. You know what's amazing about that? All my life, he had wasted virtually 80 years of his life and more. And now he sees that even though he was wasting those years, the great shepherd had been watching and guarding and providing all those years. Even to this day, he says, here I am and I'm dying and I'm ill and weak, but the shepherd is with me. And the shepherd is with me. You see, back in the midst of trouble, whenever Joseph had gone, Jacob thought that God had given up on him and he despaired. He forgot that God was his shepherd. Will you remember that God is your shepherd? Remember his faithful shepherding and you will be enabled to keep going. If you felt that, God your shepherd, providing amidst trouble, providing against illness, uh, in the midst of illness, providing, as you look back, over perhaps years wasted, and you marvel that he brought you through them. Look at what he's been doing to this day. You marvel and say, God has been my shepherd all my life to this day. And then another refueling point, God's protection. Look at the next line. The angel who has delivered me from all harm, or better, a better translation would be the angel who has redeemed me. Redeemed me. From all evil. It's that rich word. um, In Hebrew it's goel. uh, Which Boaz was a goel. He was a redeemer. He stepped into Ruth's life. And he redeems her. From unwanted. And from widowhood. And he redeems her. God redeemed Israel from Egypt. He bought them back. He set them free. And Jacob says. God was my redeemer. He redeemed me from all evil. The angel is a reference to to that that moment of wrestling at the brook, at the river, when God appeared in human form and Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
And God gives him a new name at that point. He changes his name from Twister to Struggler with God. Instead of relying on his own cunning and twisting everything, Jacob has just clung on to God and said, God, would you do it? Will you give me blessing? And at that moment, in that name change, God is indicating, I've not just changed your name, I've changed your heart. And God rescued him from himself. He rescued him from Laban and from Esau, from all harm. If you're a Christian this morning, you can say, the angel of the Lord redeemed me. You can write that slogan over your life. You can write, he's redeemed me from all harm because nothing can strike you or come to you except what your protector has decreed will only be for your good as you seek to live for him and follow him. Oh, and for us, the one that wrestled with Jacob and Jacob marveled that that this God would, as it were, come down and wrestle with him, take on weakness, as it were, so a blessing could come to Jacob. We can marvel all the more. For we see that that same God, the Son, came down and didn't wrestle with us, but he went to the cross in weakness and wrestled with Satan and sin and death and triumphed so that we could have the blessing. He bore all the harm so that we could have all the blessing. And Jacob He refuels himself at these points. Do you see how we can refuel ourselves at these points? Remembering God is the one who appeared to us. God is the one who has made promises to us. God is the one who is our shepherd. God is the one who has redeemed us from all harm. So there's remembering God's faithfulness. And then the the second big thing that keeps him going is confidence in God's future promises. Confidence in God's future promises. Verse 4, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make your community of peoples and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. And then down to verse 21. Then Israel said, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you I will give one more ridge of land than your brothers. The ridge I took from the Amorites with my sword and bow. He starts his speech and he ends his speech with focusing on God's future promises. He's talked about what God did in the past. And that's fueling to keep running to the finishing line, which is what God will do in the future. It's because of what God has said about the future and what God has done in the past that Jacob says, this race is worth running. I will run with perseverance the race marked out with me. He's so confident that God will take them back to Canaan that he says to Joseph, do you know Shechem? That ridge of land that I took from the Amorites, that's yours. That piece is yours. You know what's dear to me? It's yours. That's actually where Joseph would end up being buried. Because God keeps his promise. Jacob was right to have confidence in the future. God has in store. Are you confident about what God has in store? Are you confident that this race has a finish line with a prize? You see, if we lose sight of the prize, 
if we lose sight of the, the goal, and that's what the, Hebrew, the writer of the Hebrews is saying, fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider him. He's the prize. We get to be with him forever. There's a great cloud of witnesses that have run the race. They're already over the finishing line and they're shouting to us from the pages of Scripture, keep running, it's worth it. It's worth it, don't give up. Jacob adds his voice to that chorus now. Then he's, he's still running the race, but he's, he's convinced there's a prize. Are you confident about what God has in store for us? Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. I am going there to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Are you confident about what is to come? Jesus uh, said, um, or sorry, Paul said rather, he said, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Are you confident? Are you confident in Christ's coming? In the future that God has for us. That's what will fuel us to run well. Great determination to run well. And then secondly and more briefly... Great determination to pass on his faith. Because there's a prize. Because God is like this. And because God will do this. Jacob looks at his sons. Verse, chapter 49. And even his grandsons. Chapter 48. And says I want you to have this. I want you to have this. He rallies himself. He struggles to get up on his bed, this dying man. What for? To tell two young men who never knew Canaan. Joseph, Jacob's sons knew Canaan. That was home. But Joseph's sons didn't. Their father was prime minister. Their mother was a princess. They've only ever known Egypt and luxury and power. And affluence and influence. Jacob, the dying man, has something to say to these young men. He wants, what do you give to two young men of the world at their feet? He wants to hand them God and God's promises. Above all else, he wants his grandsons to have God and to know the God that he has known. And what he's going to do here is no just sentimental or, or hasty or by the way thing. He's going to adopt these boys, young men. He's going to adopt these men and he's going to bless them. That's what's happening in verses uh, 5 to 12 is a formal adoption ceremony. That's what's going on. That's uh, why he said in verse 5, Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine. Just as Reuben and Simeon are mine, 
Any children born to you from now on will be yours, but these two are mine. He's adopting them. And verses 8 to 12, you've got a formal adoption ceremony. That's why he asks the question, which seems a bit odd, who are these? You know, sure, you've just said they're Ephraim and Manasseh. You know, you forgot yourself. It's a bit like the question at a wedding. Who giveth this woman? Has the minister just forgot who the father of the bride is? No, it's a, it's a formal question because there's going to be a handing over of obligation from the, the father of the bride to the, the, the groom. But that's what's going on here. Joseph answers. And then the boys, the men, these young men are placed at Jacob's knees. That was a symbolic gesture. Whenever a child was born, the midwife would take it and place it on the knees of the mother. Or if somebody else, through some sort of custom, was bearing the child for the mum, like um, it happened with uh, Rachel and Leah's servants, uh, Bilhah and Zilpah, the child was taken and placed on the knees of, the, of Rachel or Leah, as if the child was theirs. And that's the symbolism of this. These boys are being adopted by Jacob. They are come and they're probably not sitting on his knees. He's lying in bed, sitting up in bed. He's 147. They're two 20-year-olds. They're probably kneeling down at his knees because he's able to put his hands on their heads. They're kneeling down at his knees as a symbol that they're being adopted into his family. And Jacob adopts them, embraces them, kisses them, blesses them. Um, Brings them into his family. And there's two things just I I want us to see here as we consider passing on the baton. Given that all that we've seen this morning already is true. God's faithfulness and God's future. What does Jacob do? Two things. He speaks to them about God and God's ways. And he speaks to God about them and their ways. Here's two things for us, particularly those of us who are parents or grandparents. Here are two things for us. Here are two things for all of us, for we all have children in our midst here. And we have a responsibility for them. We all have people around us that we want to see come to faith. We want to pass the baton on to them. Speak to them about God. As the boys stand or kneel before him, he blesses them. And as he blesses them, he tells them three things about God, what we've seen already. God is personal. He's the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. He tells them that God provides. He's the shepherd. He tells them that God protects. He's the angel who redeemed them from all harm. This is God, he says. This is my God. And he wants these boys to know this God, to be their God. That's what he's going to say. May they be called by my name, the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. In other words, they would walk in the ways of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But then you have this curious incident of the crossing of the the arms. What's that about? Well, he's showing these boys, and, and God has instructed them to do it, it would seem, that God's ways are not the ways of the world. The ways of the world was that the first one deserved the biggest share. He merited, he deserved the greatest blessing. But does God work the ways of the world? Do we earn blessing from God? No. And so all throughout Genesis, God has been picking the younger or the youngest son, 
the younger brother. He's saying, my ways are not your ways. My ways are upside down to yours. You think you earn blessing from me because of your status or your standing? Not at all. I bless you because I choose to bless you. Blessing is a gift from God. And Jacob is communicating that to Joseph, to Manasseh, to Ephraim. As God has communicated it to him in how he received blessing as the youngest of the two sons. And as God reminded him at the brook when he had to wrestle with God to get blessing. He had to beg God, would you bless me? I can't earn it. I can't trick my way into it. And so we need to speak to our children and those around us about God. Do we speak to our children in a way that they know that God is personal to us, that it's not just a Sunday thing? Do they see that we regard God as our shepherd, how God has provided for us? It's not just that we've got it by our own wit and skill and hard work. God has provided. Do we speak in such a way that our children see that God has redeemed us and rescued us? Do we speak to them in a way and do we show them that our standing with God hasn't been earned by us? We don't deserve it, but it has been given to us graciously by God. For God's ways are not the ways of the world. They're different. It's by grace, not by works that we are saved. Speak to them about God and God's ways. And then also, then also, we're to speak to God about them and their ways. That's verse 16. May he bless these boys. Three parts again. God, will you bless them? God, will you make them different? Not like Egyptians, but you make them like Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So they'll be identified as God's people. They'll walk in God's ways. And God, would you cause them to flourish and multiply? Jacob talked to God about his grandchildren and about their ways, the way in which they would walk. And here we should pray that God would pour out his blessings on our children. Not physical blessings particularly, not material blessings particularly, but especially spiritual blessing. You praying for the salvation of your children, your grandchildren. You praying that God will be working in their lives. You pray that God would pour out his blessing on them. Do you pray that they would be known as followers of Jesus Christ, that they follow the God of their fathers, their mothers, that they follow the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, that they walk in his ways, that they're not characterized by Egypt, by the world, but that they walk in God's ways unashamedly. You pray that they will flourish and bear much fruit, physical, but especially spiritual fruit, that they will display the fruit of the Spirit, that they will see God working through them in the lives of others. Jacob, on his deathbed, is passionate about this that my grandsons will know who God is and that they will live for him. And he summons his strength, his dying breath almost. We'll see next time as he addresses his own sons that, as it were, his dying breath is to see that they will know God's blessing and God's challenge and even God's rebuke. But this is what he wants. He wants to finish well 
And he wants to see his children and grandchildren walk in his ways. Two final applications, just as we finish. First, to the young people here this morning. Ephraim receives a massive blessing here. Huge privileges. But as I read that, I was saddened because many years later, Ephraim had squandered those privileges. In Hosea 9, verse 17, we read, Ephraim, speaking of not the individual, but the whole tribe, is joined to idols. Here's tragedy. All the blessings that God had promised through Jacob, wasted. My dear young people, we will seek to speak to you about God and we will speak to God about you and for you. But please do not squander the privileges that God has given to you. Heaven and hell hang in the balance. This world isn't all there is. Egypt isn't the be all and end all. That's what God or Jacob wants Ephraim and Manasseh to see. Don't join yourself to what this world has to offer. Join yourself to Jesus Christ. He's the only one who will be your shepherd. He's the only one who will lay down his life for you. He's the only one who will redeem you from all evil. And secondly, to all of us, let us aim to run well and to finish well. Let's not like Jacob get waylaid in the middle of life or discouraged by trials. But let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Consider him so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And whatever else we achieve in life, that will be our greatest moment. Finishing well, seeking to pass on our faith. Amen.